Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle, your host for today's conversation. It's always so good to be with you. I think the most beautiful part of this conversation is just taking time and putting it aside and spending some beautiful quiet time considering what we want to talk about here. Getting to some nuggets. I'm a very practical counselor, therapist, theologian. I'm very nuts and bolts. And it is my deepest desire that I offer to you truly practical tidbits, resources, principles that you can apply immediately to your present life. We have been in a mini-series called Reflections. I turned the big 6-0 in October, and I thought, wow, I'm standing on the threshold, toes on the threshold of a brand new decade. And quite honestly, I feel that it is the first decade of my life, and I've lived many, where I am in my true essence. I have come home to myself, my true essence, my God-breathed identity, as we say here in the Speak Healing Words community. Each decade has had tremendous identity markers inside of it, and it has been very therapeutic and very cathartic to look in the rearview mirror at my life and examine it. An unexamined life uh, can be a meaningless life. And so it's very, very important to take the time to get away, to carve out space with ourselves. Please hear me today. This is not selfish. In fact, it is selfless. It's God's desire. I was sharing with a client this week, again, about how vital it is to steal away and to have time alone. And I I, I mentioned to her, you know, that is exactly what Jesus, our example, Jesus is the man, the truth, the way that I follow in my personal life. My whole life is framed by the Judeo-Christian worldview. And I said to her, you know, on several accounts, Jesus would step away. He'd get in a boat. He'd go to the other side of the lake. He'd go to a mountain. He would go to... Um, the home of Mary and Martha in Bethany and Lazarus. He would find quiet. He went away to the Garden of Gethsemane, probably the most difficult quiet space he ever found himself in. So it's so important that we model, we follow that model, we follow that image. And in our culture, and I live on the East Coast, it's pretty hyped up. And I recognize that in my 
fifth decade, which we're talking about today, decade 40 to 49 years old, it was a huge decade of transition for me personally. So I think that my story today about transition and living through periods of transition, which each and every one of us will do, we will, learning how to navigate the treacherous waters of transition builds within us a stamina and a resilience that then makes the other transitions in our life easier. I read in a beautiful book that I just got called The Reservoir. Do you not love that name? By Renovare, beautiful um, spiritual formation organization. And this is their um, devotional. And the very first day starts with Dallas Willard, a beautiful spiritual formation leader. And he wrote, spiritual formation is the process by which the human spirit and will is given a definite form or character. It happens to everyone. The inner being of each one of us, and we talk so much, hopefully we're bringing a great deal of attention and life adjustments in our time together about our inner work, our growth mindset, our spiritual growth pilgrimage. He writes that the inner being of each one of us, our personality, our character, and our will is gradually shaped by everything and everyone we spend time with. Most of us are completely unaware of this formation process. When we do become aware of issues in the way we've been formed, for example, a struggle with anger, pride, or insecurity, we often don't know how the problem developed or what we can do about it. The good news is that there is something we can do about it. It's There's something we can do about who we are right now and about who we are becoming. An awareness of our own spiritual formation will allow us to become more intentional about what and who we let shape us. Hmm. There are many forces, families, schools, churches, entertainment, politics, advertising, arts, sports, competing to form the human being within us. So I ask today, as they asked me in this devotional, Renovare's devotional reservoir, what forces, which forces seem to have the most influence on your own formation and that of those around you? This was very piercing to my soul as I reflected on this decade, this fifth decade, ages 40 to 49. So I pray that you lean in, hear between the lines, listen between the lines, and have eyes to see how my story, my journey informs yours. And please, please comment, send me questions. I'm here for you. 
I am carving away my time here to hear from you so that we can journey together and be our very, very best God-breathed selves. So my decade, I coin it uh, a transition decade. Transition's a very critical word. It actually means in the Latin root to go across, to go across. Well, doesn't that just tie in with our threshold theme, right? We've got so many themes going on, and I I can't wait till we're done. I'm going to listen back and really write them all down and share them with you. When I thought about the word transition, obviously as a mother, I thought about the transition phase of the delivery of a baby. Boy, is that a going across. (laughs) That is the final stage. It is a tough stage. At least it was for me in all uh, both of my pregnancies, I had three babies, two pregnancies, and a miscarriage. And the transition phase was that time of great pressure. So I thought, boy, doesn't nature, once again, the delivery process, the beautiful transformation when that, that baby within the womb comes into the world, The final stage of transition is one just filled with intense physical pressure, which then creates emotional stress. And in this time, a woman's behavior absolutely changes. It can go, it can get ugly. (laughs) This is a time where there's a great deal of pain, a great deal of fear, panic, in my case, absolute exhaustion. I remember, especially in uh, delivering the twins after baby A came out, which was my dear Brooke, I was like, I'm good. I'm done. I'm good. I'm hungry. I want a hamburger. I want a cheeseburger. I'm so hungry. And they're like, uh, sorry. You know, there's like 20 people in the operating room. It was just crazy. And I was like, no, 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 I'm good. And they're like, no, 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 you have another baby. It's got to come out. Oh, goodness. And I was just done. I was so tired. And thankfully, we pushed on and out came Grant, baby, twin B. It was a great day and a glorious day. And so glad I pressed through the pain and the pressure. It is a time when you also go, I just can't do this. I'm good. I'm good. I I, I can't do this. I'm done. I don't want to do this. It hurts. It's painful. A lot of pressure. Don't like it. Stop. (laughs) And in this phase, you must focus and ground the process through breathing. Yeah. So, so many parallels in this time of transition that I wanted to mention that. And you'll hear how in this phase, there's so much pressure in our life when you're transitioning from something. So in my decade, uh, my fifth decade, I was transitioning from, as I shared last time, having fractured my back, having had to sell my dance studio, dying to uh, Janelle the dancer, and awakening uh, to who, who is Janelle. And I'm not too sure what to do right now because it's very painful. And so I did begin to look at that exit from the dancer girl, from the dance studio owner, as an entrance, full entrance into mothering, homeschooling, full time, 
My twins were 10 at the beginning of this decade, and my oldest was 14, and she was entering high school. She went into high school in the 10th grade. In fact, all of our children did. I also began during this time uh, a great deal of speaking. So my professional speaking career began to unfold. I had done speaking in the past, but not during that uh, decade where I was birthing children and birthing a business and running a business. No. So it began to unfold a great deal in a, a beautiful organization called MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers. I began teaching women retreats. I was uh, definitely in a spiritual formation period. I was writing a lot of Bible studies. I was writing a lot of articles and getting them published. And I was developing curriculum units, not only for my uh, children, but then I opened and and founded a enrichment school called Reach, and we had a one-day school, and I thought, oh, this is the next phase for me. I'm going to be having a school for homeschooled students to go maybe once or twice a week for deep enrichment, get a traditional school experience, kind of created a hybrid for the homeschool community here in my area. I also uh, was asked to write for one of our journals in the area, and that's where I began developing uh, the book project for Rock Solid Families, and then the homeschooling organization in Virginia asked me to write for their manual, which was just a beautiful gift, and that was how my first book evolved, uh, Rock Solid Families. And so this period of transition, as I said before, a lot of times when we experience a death in a gifting area or in a work career or in a projected um, dream path that we might have, that may be intervened. It may be stalled, stopped, ceased. And we're in a period of huge disappointment and and confusion and pain and agony. And in that period is where I like, because I frame my world through God's perspective, and his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts, and his dreams for us are often really bigger and different than our own dreams, and so it's a, it's an, a period of time when you're in tra- transition to come away, to carve out some time to be with God or with yourself or with both, as I would uh, prescribe to, ascribe to. So in this decade, I entered, it was a very busy, busy decade, with my children, but I also developed the practice of silence and stillness and solitude, which if you've been listening, that was what a brilliant doctor prescribed for me at age 28, to stop all leadership, to sit in a chair every day for 15 minutes and learn how to be quiet and still and do nothing but be So that was the beginning of my journey from human doing to human being. So here in this decade, once again, I'm facing this theme, this 
this dominant theme in my life that I fill my life with disordered attachments in order to fill my identity with some sense of worth. And for me in this this decade, the faith community, the church, would have been one of those places that we were reading about that I looked to to fill me with a, a sense of worth, a very unhealthy relationship with the place of church and community of faith in my life. And so in order to get some clarity and to really just be able to get my thoughts in some kind of line, I had a very big master closet (laughs) and I would go sit in that closet, shut the door and light a little candle. And I was so broken and so desperate because who am I now? Chanel the dancer is now no longer here. Oh, of course, she's still part of me. I still love to move. But at that time, I couldn't move because of my back injury. And so I just would go into the closet and sit and weep and weep. And I really had no words, none really. I was just, I can just remember going, God, I'm here and I don't know what is happening, but I'm here and I'm just going to sit here with you and I'm just going to, I'm going to just be. Sounds maybe strange. (laughs) Realize I had three kids, very active decade. And so in that time, I also Uh, implemented with them, and actually in the decade before, um, 30 minutes of silence within our day so that all of us, each of the children went into their own room. They were blessed to have their own room, and we just had 30 minutes of silence. And I imaged that after Revelations 8-1, where all of heaven had a time where they were silent. Hopefully, I didn't know that I was doing this, but I was now can see that hopefully my children each know how important it is to have a rhythm in your life of rest and work, play hard, work hard, rest, come away when you need to restore yourself and collect strength. So uh, as I was putting out my mapping of this episode, and I'll put it up on our private Facebook page, I just circled and read early 40s prayer closet. (laughs) I spent a lot of time in silence and solitude. It was a consistent practice that I didn't really, I was not conscious that I was developing a practice at that time. But now as I look back, that is exactly what I was doing. I was coming away from Janelle, the active church worker who was doing so much inside of the church without any inner work. So I was out of balance. I was receiving my sense of worth from what I did inside of the church community, inside of the homeschool community, do, 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 keep, 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 yep, 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 right, 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 do, do, do. And somehow within me, I felt this gentle call to come aside and to be quiet and to just be. For you, I'm not sure what your disordered attachments might be. They might be your work. They could be the PTA. They could be your volunteerism. They could be um, you fill in the blank. I really don't know. There are so many. 
And we want to make sure, and I write thoroughly about this in Overcoming Hurtful Words, and I have talked about it a lot on our podcast, earlier podcast. We want to make sure that we have secure attachment within ourself and unto God, in my language, where I do not need any external affirmation to make me sense my worth, my value, and my dignity. Yes, I express my gifts and talents that, and offer them in all of those avenues. And I love affirmation. I need affirmation that, good job, you're valuable to us. I need it on one hand, but I don't need it to feel better about myself. I'm very, very content in my skin in where I am today. And so when I was I was in this period of practicing silence and solitude, I'm not even sure, I, I would have not even known what that looked like. So I'm going to give you just a little um, understanding of what that looks like, and perhaps it will be a blessing to you. And I, I turn to this beautiful book, Why You Do the Things You Do. Great title, right? By Dr. Tim Clinton, president of the American Association of Christian Counseling, and Dr. Gary Sibsey, both whom I've studied under in my board certification for life coaching and in my master's work. So I've studied them both so much and I've gotten so much um, practical help. So in this book, Why You Do the Things You Do, The Secret to Healthy Relationships, they share about silence, the practice of silence and solitude, and they write, silence is the essential ingredient of solitude. Without silence, the impact of solitude is greatly minimized. Obviously, it's nearly impossible to completely isolate yourself from sound, but by drastically reducing it, you will become aware of just how often sound drowns out God. Dallas Willard, who is a a beautiful writer, he adds to this conversation and he notes that silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does. It reminds us of death, which will cut us off from the world and leave us only with God. And what if in that that total quietness, there turns out to be very little to just us and God? (laughs) Furthermore, think what it says about the inner emptiness of our lives. If we must always turn on, okay, this is dating this book. If we must always turn on the CD player or radio to make sure something is happening around us. Oh, now let's add um, our phone connected to our right hand 24-7. Silence, when combined with solitude, dissolves our normal defenses that keep the feelings of aloneness and vulnerability at bay. When we're silent and alone, we may actually feel naked before a very large universe. But there, without all of life's distractions, we can seek God and respond to his invitation, written in the New Testament, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He continues, and I I need to add this, like solitude, silence touches and can bring freedom from The fear of abandonment in both the ambivalent and the disorganized relationship styles, the attachment styles that we talk about so much here. 
It can also be an effective discipline for those with the avoidant relationship style, especially narcissists with an inflated sense of self-love who seek the company of people who offer frequent praise and adoration. Oh, this is so good. The discipline of silence can help neutralize all our defense mechanisms when you lay them down at God's feet. Why do I love that so much? I think silence for me really put me in touch. Maybe it was even returning to my essence, awakening my true self, like we talked about a few episodes ago. Because I remember as a young child spending a lot of time in silence and very quiet and pulling weeds around our patio and just listening to the wind. And so I was always very aware and really enjoyed and loved uh, the quiet and the silence and the solitude. And it restored me. It made me collect strength and, and made me rest. So I believe that this period of transition in this decade definitely began a vital, consistent practice that now I can't live without. And it clarified my purpose in that season and continues to clarify my purpose today. It was a season of transition, not only in my own life, but also in the lives of my children as uh, they graduated from uh, high school during this time. Uh, graduated, my oldest graduated from college during this time. So there was a lot of empty nesting going on. And then I, as they left the nest, my home was really silent, but not in the practice of silence way. It kind of drove me crazy and I was sad and went through a period of grief. Oh my goodness, what do I do now? Now, now the question wasn't who is Janelle the dancer, it was who is Janelle the mother because all my children are flying away from the nest and I don't really know what to do with myself on the one hand. But on the other hand, as I said, I had been doing a lot of teaching, a lot of speaking, a lot of writing, and then actually got my first book published in 2007, which evolved into lots of book signings, lots of speaking events. And at the end of these events, women would be standing in line for a long time. I'm not exaggerating when I say 15, 20 deep. And they were so sweet to wait. And every time a woman stood in front of me, the tears just flowed down her cheeks And she felt so inadequate and she was struggling and in such agony and such pain. And what their faces did for me was bring me back to that prayer closet, bring me back to that quiet time. And I'm like, God, I need more tools to help these women. I am ineffectively trained to handle what they were bringing to me. Their problems were bigger than my toolbox. And it was their faces that called me to bravery and called me to the day that we dropped my twin daughter off to university. I went to the university registrar and I applied for grad school. 
I was shaking in my boots. I thought, I am 50, almost 50, and I am signing up for my master's in counseling. At that time, I wanted to be a licensed marriage and family therapist, an LMFT, and it was an extensive program. I actually was just uh, a little bit in over my head, but I acclimated and I loved the study. I loved the work. I loved it. I was in my zone. And so it was during this time at the end of this decade where my, my children were flying away from the nest and I was going back to school and entering into a whole entire new realm of being. And I believe absolutely everything in the past two decades had led me to that moment of bravery because I just knew I needed more. I needed to have more tools to do what God was calling me to do next. I didn't know exactly what that looked like, but I knew the next step. And I, if you have any trouble making decisions or understanding how to make the next right decision, please pick up Emily P. Freeman's book, The Next Right Thing. It's awesome. And so that is how this decade closed out for me. With me rearranging a homeschooling schoolroom to now my schoolroom where I was going back to college, to university, to get my master's and expand my personal capacities and potential to serve the women that I wrote to in my books. That's where we're going to close that out. Maybe you feel like you are at a fork in the road. And as Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. What does that mean, Yogi Berra? Well, Clinton and Sibsi write in that book we are just loving right now, Why You Do the Things You Do. Life has a nasty habit of presenting us with forks in our emotional roads. Actually, they're crossroads. And they present us with some hard choices. Either we continue on as before, or we make changes that are sometimes painful and almost always frightening. At these times, all the lights can go on and we can suddenly see things very differently. These fork in the road oh goodness, these fork in the road choices can come suddenly and out of the blue and be completely life-changing. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you are in this transitional decade, this transitional year, this transitional period, season. And it's tough and you you're feeling all kinds of pressure. Pressures to push. Pressures to quit. Pressures to say, I, I can't do this. Well, I'm here to say you can. If I can do it, you can do it. And you have a whole community supporting you and cheering you on. When these life-changing experiences come, the major choice we face is whether to walk the pathway of healing or the pathway of continuing pain. When you stand at the crossroads, okay, close your eyes right now, not if you're driving. Maybe you're at that crossroads. Do you go left? Do you go right? Doesn't always mean one's a wrong choice and one's a right choice. Maybe one's just a better choice for this season in your life. When you stand at a crossroads, the first step, 
quoting Shakespeare here, know thyself. Facing the truth about ourselves is a threatening and tough assignment. It's far easier to live in denial and just go on with life as it is. Ho, hum, status quo. It won't get any better. It won't get any worse. Those are my words. But the first step to knowing which path of life to take is to look honestly at ourselves and at what brought us to where we are. This kind of truth sets the stage for us to be set free to know God's peace deep in our souls, free to mature into all that God-breathed identity, free to embrace all that life holds for us, and free to love and be loved again. Ah, freedom. Freedom is our... It's what we are moving towards every day in our Speak Healing Words community. Sometimes the first step is to know, is to to know ourselves, to come away and be silent and experience a little time in the closet with just you and God. So you can hear the whispers of his spirit say, Walk this way. Yeah, walk this way. I'm with you. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. You're not alone. I got you. And I want you to know I've got you too. I'm holding space for you. Press on, press through, and always remember that you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.